Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Triangles Meditation Group webinar. Today is September 11th, 2023, and we're so glad to have all of you joining us here today to participate in this very important service activity, Triangles. Triangles is a service activity which links men and women of goodwill from all over the world in a form of planetary service. Each day, members link mentally with other members of their triangle or triangles. They invoke the energies of light and goodwill, and they visualize these energies as circulating through the three points of their triangle and pouring out through a network of triangles which surrounds the planet. At the same time, they repeat the great invocation and thus help to form a channel for the downpouring of light and love into the consciousness of humanity. So triangles is a subjective form of service which uses the power of thought and prayer. And its power comes from its work in the subtle world of ideas and causes which underlie the outer world of effects. Increasingly today, people are coming to a recognition of the power of meditation especially when performed by large groups and in regular and rhythmic fashion. And triangles is a way to participate in the spiritual upliftment of humanity through the power of thought and meditation, um, and a very important and consequential one at that. Triangles members work with an understanding of the spiritual needs of the world, and so it's not a purely mystical activity. And though the perceived need will, of course, differ based on each member's unique perception and worldview, all workers share a desire for right human relations. They seek to spread light and goodwill among all peoples, and generally to raise the level of human consciousness, thereby transforming the mental and spiritual climate of the planet. Membership transcends all barriers of race, nationality, class, and political conviction. And we invite all of you to participate in this work. So this webinar is organized to give Triangles members an opportunity to come together in support of the network. And of course, also we are here to introduce new members to its work. If you'd like to form a triangle or would like further information, please put your name in the chat box. We can see if we can't find three people to form a new triangle today. I see one person's already put their name there. So um, Brent Chestein. So if anybody else would like um, to get involved, uh, please just post your name there and uh, you all can try to connect and link up and exchange contact information and then um, let us know and register your um, your triangle with um, with us here at headquarters. So today is the um, second week of a four-week focus on the Great Invocation. Great Invocation is, of course, a the world prayer which triangles members sound um, when they do their triangles practice, and so it's obviously a very important one for this work. And um, we have two special guests here today, both both returning, um, both have pre presented before on the Triangles webinar. We have first off Catherine O'Brien, a native of New Zealand, who has been a student of the Ageless Wisdom for 
25 years. We also have Jin Louie, who is uh, a colleague of mine here at the Trust, who is the Lucis Publishing Manager and also a longtime student of the teachings. So we look forward to hearing both of your thoughts on this important theme, the second stanza of the Great Invocation. So before proceeding, let's um, just begin with a with our visualization on the five planetary centers, followed by the sounding of the mantram on your screen. So we begin by visualizing the planet as a sphere of lighted energy. And now visualize within that sphere a triangle. This is the triangle of the three primary planetary centers, Shambhala, the planetary head center, the spiritual hierarchy, the planetary heart, and humanity, the planetary throat center. Visualize the circulation of energies flowing in all directions around the triangle from point to point, merging and blending the three points and filling the triangle with light. Now superimposed upon that triangle, visualize a five-pointed star. This is the star of the world teacher, linking east and west, past and future, and radiating the energy of love-wisdom. At each point of this star, the sphere of his activity stands an outpost of his consciousness, the five planetary centers. So we visualize energies radiating forth from the center of the star and through its five points. London, Darjeeling, New York, Geneva, Tokyo.
Visualize these outpouring energies enlivening small groups gathering everywhere, aiding them to focus and direct the energies into, into the consciousness of all humanity, solving its problems, creating right human relations, and restoring peace on earth. Sound the mantra. Radiance we are and power. We stand forever with our hands stretched out, linking the heavens and the earth, the inner world of meaning and the subtle world of glamour. We reach into the light and bring it down to meet the need. We reach into the silent place and bring from thence the gift of understanding. Thus with the light we work and turn the darkness into day. So today's focus is on the second stanza of the Great Invocation. And before we begin, I'd like to just read that stanza. It begins, From the point of love within the heart of God, let love stream forth into the hearts of men. May Christ return to earth. This is the original wording. And of course, many people now use the adapted wording which carries the exact same meaning, but replaces the word hearts of men with human hearts, and Christ with the phrase, the coming one. This second stanza focuses on the invocation of the love of God. Love plays a vital role in the evolution of all things, and is as relevant to the man or woman living entirely in the world of form as it is to the Logos himself. Love is said to be the basic law of our system and operation on every plane. It is the impelling force of evolution itself and the motive underlying all manifestation. The will of God is love, truly, and it is his love, his will, that sustains all creation. The love of God, as Christ, makes possible the salvation of the human soul. Love is a great unifying force, being both the word incarnate and the way back to the Father's home. At the same time, love awakens every divine power of the human soul, projecting it forward 
in time and space towards the fullest efflorescence of its divine potential. Christ, known also as the world teacher, Maitreya, the coming one, and by many other names, embodies this love within himself in perfect measure. It is through Christ, through his love, that we, the so-called downward-facing souls, are able to tread the higher way and come to know God. Christ refers to, of course, more than just the personality, the historical savior of the Christian religion. He is also the founder of the, king the kingdom of God, the august head of the spiritual hierarchy, and as such embodies one of the three great principles of divinity within our planet. As the cosmic Christ, he is eternally on the cross, yet eternally alive. And as the personal Christ, imminent within every human heart, he is the hope of glory, remaining hidden within the form, unmanifest until such time that that form dies to life and its consciousness ready to be resurrected. Christ has blazed the trail back to the Father's home. And history testifies to hundreds of great saints, holy men and women from every tradition and religion who have, like Christ, triumphed over sin and death and followed him to the Holy Land. Their reward? An ever-expanding capacity to love, to serve the whole, and to illumine the way for others. One such woman was St. Catherine of Siena, a 14th century Christian mystic whose major treatise, The Dialogue of Divine Providence, has much to say about the nature of love and the relation between God and man. The treatise, dictated by Catherine while in mystical ecstasy, is presented as a conversation between a soul and God, and it seeks to demonstrate how one soul can attain union with God through virtuous acts. Catherine believed that love begins with knowledge and the practice of ordinary virtues, and that these are the only means whereby one can begin to clothe themselves in truth. For her, this truth precedes union, a union on, only ultimately retrieved through prayer, which must be performed with knowledge of self and God. Such prayer, wrote Catherine, unites with God the soul that follows in the steps of Christ crucified. Christ, in her eyes, is the great mediator, the way of salvation between the mortal soul of man and the unlimited and incognizable love of God. In her wisdom, she gives rather practical advice with regard to love. She wrote that all man's virtues are found not in himself, not in his own soul, and not even in Christ, but rather in one's neighbor. For it is only through love of neighbor that virtue itself can first be awakened. For there is no virtue apart from love of one's neighbor. And only through the cultivation of a love for others can we begin to tread the path to union with God.
Similar to Catherine Alice, Bailey also offers very practical advice in her book from Bethlehem to Calvary. She counsels, quote, Obedience to the highest one knows in small things as well as in great, stating unequivocally that this is the great secret of the way, the path of return. Christ followed step by step the inner voice of his conscience and responded unerringly to God's call. Even as a child, he occupied himself with his father's business, leaving no time for frivolity. In Hebrews, we read that Christ, quote, learned obedience from the things which he suffered. Yet perfect obedience, to even the smallest of divine urges, with utter fearlessness and self-effacement, led the simple carpenter son of Nazareth to the very mount of ascension. In Bailey's words, he, Christ, revealed to us what God and man could be and do if we but follow our conscience in whatever glimmer of light, small or large, that we can see. The utter renunciation of self as a path to greater love was also advocated by St. Catherine of Siena, who suggested cultivating a divine hatred of self in order to eliminate all barriers to the free flow of the love of God. And it is curious to reflect on um, what she meant by such a paradoxical statement as divine hatred, but we can imagine it is likely that she meant perhaps the forceful and unambiguous renunciation of selfishness to such an extent that the very concept of selfish limitation and of self altogether was erased totally from one's consciousness. And this is distinct, but not so dissimilar from the concept of impersonality, often emphasized in the Tibetan's writings. The Tibetan states quite profoundly that, quote, impersonality is the first step upon the road to spiritual love and understanding. This is a very powerful statement not to be underestimated, and so I'll repeat it once again. He said, impersonality is the first step upon the road to spiritual love and understanding. The Tibetan writes that love is never built up from below. It is not attained by a tireless effort to tolerate others, nor by a strong will to be loving, but rather through the utter forgetfulness of oneself and therefore of all personal limitation. When that is achieved, then love pours forth un unimpeded from God through Christ into the soul and thereby to others. In the Tibetan's words, love is spontaneous and carries ever the free spirit of Christ. It is the spontaneous and free spirit of Christ which the second stanza of the invocation seeks to awaken in the soul of humanity. So let us now proceed with our meditation in support of the Triangles Network.
we begin by focusing ourselves as a group upon the mental plane at the center of the evened armed cross of discipleship. We link in thought as a soul, as a point of love and light with all people throughout the world who are working in this Triangles Meditation group. We sound the affirmation of love. In the center of all love, I stand. From that center, I, the soul, will outward move. From that center, I, the one who serves, will work. May the love of the divine self be shed abroad in my heart, through my group, and throughout the world. Using the creative imagination, link with two other points of light to create a triangle of light. Visualize the triangle in which you are working as an essential part of the Radiant Worldwide Triangles Network. Now we raise the consciousness into the light of the group soul, the heart of love which underlies and infuses the network.
Now, having moved from the individual triangle on which you're working to the network, to the light of the group soul, lift the consciousness even higher to the world teacher who stands as the heart of love at the center of the spiritual hierarchy and also at the heart of each triangle. Hold the group mind open and receptive to this inpouring energy of love. Precipitation. Visualize the energies of love and light circulating in and around the triangle's network from point to point, flowing out through the network into the hearts and minds of people everywhere. Visualize these energies unifying and eliminating all divisions within humanity, healing and transforming human consciousness, establishing right human relations.
found the mantram of unification. The souls of all are one and I am one with them. I seek to love, not hate. I seek to serve and not exact due service. I seek to heal, not hurt. Let pain bring due reward of light and love. Let the soul control the outer form and life and all events and bring to light the love that underlies the happenings of the time. Let vision come and insight. Let the future stand revealed. Let inner union demonstrate and outer cleavages be gone. Let love prevail. Let all people love. Visualize the whole planet alight with triangles. See new triangles being formed everywhere. Sound the grid invocation, silently or aloud. And as you repeat each stanza, visualize the network acting as a link between the world of spiritual realities and humanity, and as a channel through which light and love and divine purpose flow into human consciousness. From the point of light within the mind of God, let light stream forth into human minds. Let light descend on earth. From the point of love within the heart of God, let love stream forth into human hearts. May the coming one return to earth. From the center where the will of God is known, let purpose guide all little human wills, the purpose which the masters know and serve. From the center, which we call the human race, let the plan of love and light work out 
and may it seal the door where evil dwells. Let light and love and power restore the plan on earth. Thank you everyone for your careful work today. Um, I'd like to now turn um, the floor over to um, Catherine O'Brien. Catherine, are you there? Yes. Hi. Hi, Catherine. Go Hi. ahead. Oh, thank you. Um, it's always um, brings in that different energy when you're talking after a meditation like that. And thank you, Michael, for your beautiful words at the beginning. Um, the first thing that came to my mind when focusing on the Great Invocation was the book um, Sacred Vessel of the Mysteries by John Burgess um, that I read some years ago. Um, I think it's a really rich exploration into the symbolism behind the Great Invocation, and I really recommend it. Uh, when thinking about the second stanza, um, to the logical mind, it seems a bit incongruent to think of love as a point from the point of love within the heart of God. As love seems more related to a field or a quality than a point. Um, but these type of seemingly um, incongruent ideas seem to hold much wisdom as it makes one think from a more qualitative place as the Tibetan's writings always tends to do. Um, so how does love manifest at different levels of being and what is the point of love and the heart of God? Um, the starting point is the second ray of love, love wisdom. Um, as Michael said, we're in a second ray solar system um, which is a focus on the unfoldment of the quality of love, just as the previous solar system was focused on the unfoldment of the quality of intelligence. And this relates to the Christ and ultimately to Sirius. And the zodiac signs that transmit the second ray of love wisdom are Gemini, Virgo and Pisces. Uh, Gemini transmits solely the second ray, and Virgo and Pisces transmit both the second and the sixth rays. Gemini is related to Sirius, and Virgo and Pisces to the Christ. Uh, Virgo being the mother, nurturing the hidden Christ, and Pisces the matured or incarnated Christ. And these are the dual signs that we're currently in today. On the planetary level, as the Tibetan tells us, this heart of God referred to 
in the great invocation is the spiritual hierarchy. He says, in the second three lines, the heart of God is evoked and the focal point of love is considered. This heart of the manifested world is the hierarchy, that great transmitting agency of love to every form in the divine manifestation. Uh, what he also said, which could be seen as opposite to where humanity is today, and caught my attention, was the importance of humanity. The first stanza relates to light or intelligence, the second to love, the third to will, and the fourth to humanity. And the Tibetan says, hence, my brothers, the intensity of the human conflict, a conflict unparalleled in any other differentiation of the divine life. In humanity, all lines and aspects meet. This is a fundamental of the occult teaching. And he also says, here and here alone lies the promise of the future and its hope and opportunity. Here and here alone can all the divine qualities in time and space express themselves and find fulfillment. Here and here alone can love be truly born. Intelligence correctly function and the will of God demonstrate its effective goodwill. Through humanity alone and unaided, except by the divine spirit in every human being, can the door where evil dwells be sealed. It is not Sanat Kamara who seals the door. It is not the hierarchy which forces evil back into the place from whence it comes. It is struggling, aspiring, and suffering humanity to whom the task is committed. And, my brother, humanity is adequate to the task. Uh, so it's latent and inherent within humanity to express these qualities, including love. So it was both a little daunting and hopeful that this is the case, both of which I think are inspiring in different ways to do this work. And it highlighted the importance of the great invocation. Um, the Tibetan also says, this statement is borne ever in mind by those who's potent in using the invocation. It serves to focus and anchor the invoked energies in the human kingdom. That is their task. From that point, humanity takes over the undertaking. So this is one of the ways that we express love by aligning with an aspect of the heart of God, the spiritual hierarchy, and evoking these energies and expressing that in our daily lives, especially at this time of turmoil in the world. How do we recognize those that are motivated by love? We have um, elections here in New Zealand at the moment, and um, in the US, it's a focus as well. And there's lots of ideas and information, policies um, being expressed intellectually. But how do we sense love coming through ideas that are being expressed? The more we align with aspects of love, like the hierarchy, and focus on this quality, um, like people that are expressing inclusivity, collective ideas, ideas that are synthesizing and uplifting, the more it anchors these qualities. 
as the Tibetan points out, it's so important that we do because this is the manifesting ground. It's our undertaking as humanity. We can listen to and vote for people that have some form of this underlying understanding. We can listen to music or focus on art that has this underlying principle of love. Or read about ideas that are synthetic and inclusive that express the Venusian or Buddhic by the mental plane. And most important, as Michael mentioned, um, in loving thy neighbor, we can express these qualities, especially love, as each of us humans ourselves in this struggling, aspiring and suffering humanity. Perhaps the hardest but the greatest form of love is to see and love those that express it the least or who have differing ideas and see this common humanity and underlying love in all rather than get caught up in the algorithm of division and polarization. That seems to be the Christ principle, the second ray, the middle principle of work, of love at work, um, loving thy neighbor and the expression of this stanza. And as the Tibetan tells us, that is our task and humanity is adequate to it. So by doing these things, we can serve the divine plan in this way, by extending the love outwards from the point of love within the heart of God. Over to you, Michael. Thank you. Thank you so much, Catherine. That was, that was beautiful. And uh, lots, lots to ponder there, certainly. Um, I especially liked your question you sort of pose there how do we sense love coming through ideas and perhaps we can return to that question uh after after jen speaks here momentarily um of course any other questions people have as well and i meant to sort of um let everyone know that they if they have any thoughts or comments they'd like to share they'll have a chance to do so after this second presentation um but Jen, if you're there, you can go ahead and unmute, and the floor is yours. Hey there, Michael. I am here, and um, good afternoon, everybody. Holy smokes, Catherine and Michael, though, <laughs> your two talks were really wonderful, really, really wonderful. So I will do my best here. <laughs> so we are, with the words of the second stanza, calling, as has been said several times, on the presence of love, merging it, in essence, to the presence of light. Light can be seen as intelligence, love can be seen as compassionate empathy, and when they are blended together, we get that rare human being who is soundly grounded on this earth and sees it through the acquired lens of inspired perception. This lens, spun from the sturdy threads of the soul, sees humanity's tapestry as it truly is, a creation of evolution in constant motion. Last week, we heard such a, a beautiful presentation on the, um, the first stanza and the evoking of light, an essence of the mental plane often associated with the Buddha. And now we turn to the essence of love, 
so often associated with the Christ. These two brothers, pioneers, way showers, are not complete without the other. And so one follows the other until their paths cross, not by chance on a city street, but by design inside the physiology of us. The last line of this stanza captures most of my attention. May Christ return to earth. I will be honest. I used to wonder why we should long so intently for the return of the Christ. The lion's share of the works associated with preparing the way for the return of the Christ figure must be shouldered by a load-weary humanity. It just seemed like too much to ask. And when the Christ returns, I thought we'd probably get it all wrong anyway, mucking up the new gospels that would need to be written and creating general chaos between religious ideologies. In the end, my conclusion was that perhaps the Christ should just stay put. Now, these were my thoughts a while back. Years down the road now, I understand the longing. This return will not be the same as the last time. Humanity is older, somewhat wiser, and technology has enabled lightning fast communications. And this time, he is not trying to convince us of anything. We will have figured right action out on our own. When he returns, it's said that his earthly presence will generate a kind of explosion of activity reflecting his type of consciousness. One result will be the liberation in humanity of the quality of intuitive love. Another result will be that the concept of and actions associated with hate will be abolished. The world will instead be populated by groups formed of the multitudes of men and women who will, with utter devotion, promote goodwill and right human relations. So great will their numbers be that they will become the most influential force in the world. This is what the presence of the Christ will bring. And given the current situation on earth, there are very good reasons to long for it. It's said that he recites the great invocation daily. Imagine Christ saying the words, let Christ return to earth day after day after day. The power of his wish to return surely electrifies ours. He wants to take the intelligence of his brother and mix it with his own essence to create what we call loving understanding. And he wants to set it loose on the sphere of the earth where it will touch and alter all life and all matter, sweeping it forward to its intended expression. So how can we move this along? What has to happen first? It was decided by the Christ in 1945 that before he could return, humanity had to bring about the initial stages of establishing right human relations and the principles of sharing. 
the initial stages. Aren't we there? Look at the fact that the United Nations exists and look at its key topics of constant consideration, human rights, humanitarian aid, disarmament, global food distribution, democracy, peacekeeping, upholding international law. Look at the outreach coming from the millions of religious centers of all beliefs, including volunteers traveling to places of crisis, global work with the homeless and parentless, relief for refugees, the building of wireless networks and distribution of technology so that all the Earth's people can be educated. Look at the writings coming from the millions of educational institutions around the world, extolling goodwill and tolerant understanding. Look at the growing global movement towards acknowledgement of the exquisite value of life, all life. Look at an East Indian holy woman named Amma, who rose through utter devotion to the principle of love to become the chair of the C20 summit in Jaipur, India, the summit that merges the people's aspirations with the world leaders at the G20 summit in New Delhi. All these things reflect the emergence in the human consciousness of right human relations, sharing, compassion, global awareness. And these are just reflections of a few. There are millions. So are we there? Is it time? There is a story from the Bhagavad Gita which was shared with me by the sisters of the Brahma Kumaras who have headquarters just down the hall from us here in New York. And I'll paraphrase it here. The story goes that demons were harassing worshipers of God. And these demons were especially disruptive when the people were in prayerful ceremony. This made them pray even more intently, but it didn't seem to slow the demons down. Finally, the spiritual leaders called out to God saying, aren't you seeing what is happening down here? We can't even worship you in peace without these demons trying to stop us. Can't you intervene? The deity replied, do you see this urn? It is the urn of sin. When the urn of sin is full, then can I intervene? Just a little bit more. We are just on the verge. The urn of sin can hold just the tiniest bit more. And behind it stands the Christ, calling for his own return. From where we now stand, holding the higher human virtues solidly in view for all to see, we can confidently set our eyes to the horizon. It's time. Where should we look? Matthew from the Gospels guides us. For as lightning that comes from the east is visible even in the west, so will be the coming of the Son of Man.
Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you so much, Jen. That was really, really lovely, lovely talk. <laughs> I um I had never considered before that the Christ, when saying the great invocation, was in fact invoking his own return. <laughs> and when you mentioned that, it gave me a chuckle briefly because I was like, does he say, you know, may I return to her? <laughs> but of course, but of course, it's actually a very profound consideration mm -hmm, that mm -hmm. in fact, it represents his own desire and comes right. also from his own, um, from his own vo invocation that, that he will you know, manifest himself. Mm -hmm. but, um, another thought that came to me, and we're sort of opening up the floor now for discussion and um and um, discussion and Q&A or whatever, whatever have you, anybody that would like to share um, can do so at this point. But just to get us sort of out, Jen, one thing that came to my mind was as, as you were presenting and is this idea of, uh, you know, you started off by saying, oh, I, you know, we're all, we're probably just going to muck it all up, you know, <laughs> like, oh, dear, well, probably, probably we could for sure. But, you know, and that's sort of, I think a lot of the problem, the last not not the problem, but the last two thousand years, we has all been all about you know the especially with the Christian religion, obviously with about faith in Christ, the major, um, the major you know theme of the Christian religion, and mostly in the West. Um, but faith in Christ is the Savior, you know. But we have to remember there's also the Christ, the Christ in us, the Christ you know. Of, mm -hmm. of divinity imminent and so that that mm -hmm. faith in christ now increasingly increasingly has to become faith in the christ and humanity yes that, that part of christ that is in humanity that we actually can when the soul is awakened rise to the challenge before us yes mm -hmm. yes yeah yeah we'll put michael if uh, the christ in us has to um take the lead and uh when it does, it won't seem like such a weary task. <laughs> exactly. Um, that's what, um, that was the conclusion I came to after mm -hmm. many years of, of trying to figure out how this was all going to work out. Yeah. Um, we have a hand raised from David Trice. So David, I'm just going to unmute you. Can you hear me? Yes, go ahead. Yes, I'd like to uh, support what Jen said about the urn with another quote from the Bhagavad Gita. Whenever there's a, a happening of lawlessness on all sides, I then manifest, manifest myself for the sake of the righteous and those who do good. I didn't quote that exactly, but that's the gist of it. Thank you. Thank you, David. It's a really powerful, powerful passage. Thank you. Mm -hmm. There's a lot of comment in the chat box. Um, and also, which is very good, many people today wanting to form triangles. So, um, um, Catherine or Jen, did you want to read any of these um, comments, especially some of the recent ones, maybe? This one from Matthew Martin. Uh, oh, Catherine, go ahead, please. Okay, um, Matthew says, love is the inclusive caringness of all people and all of nature, and the realization of this is a reflection of divine love, which is the source or point of love. 
one of the purposes of humanity is to realize, express, and externalize this divine love. Well said. Yes, indeed. Yes, thank you, Mark. Uh, thank you, Matthew. There's one from Bob LaMonica further up as well. Jen, do you see that one? Um, looking, I do not yet. Sorry, let's see. Uh, I do see one from Isabella that it is lovely. Hatred in certain traditions simply means to keep at a distance. In substance, it might point to right relation as well towards the fleshly form as the subtle form. But the definition of to keep at a distance. Yeah. Yeah, it's, it's really paradoxical how, you know, on one hand, we have to, you know, we're told to sort of fight against the urge towards materialism mm -hmm. and towards selfishness as a means of spiritual union, when in fact, so often that struggle seems so separative in a way and can also make us feel distant from others. And then so also seems to contravene love, but in fact, that sort of basic, that sort of basic virtue of putting others, you know, first is uh, in fact the, the sort of the first form of love in many ways, mm. but digress. Um, so we've had a really rich, some really rich presentations from Catherine and Jen today. Um, and, oh, Bob's hand is raised. So before I say what I was about to say, I think we'll just go with, with, go to Bob first for his comment. Yeah. Hi, am I on? Hi, Bob. Yeah, go ahead. Yeah. Um, I think that there's paradox and ambiguity in these words like love were placed here in order to judge. I think that's part, if not half of our purpose. I'll just put that out as a metaphor. So I think in my opinion, to use these ideas like a savior and matri and all that, I, I, I think it's, it's fantasy, it's delusion. I don't know if it's really helpful I know it's a metaphor, right? Uh, but beyond that, I mean, to, to claim that it's an actual, you know, we're waiting for the, um, the, the second coming, I, I think it's, a, it's contradictory to growth. Mm -hmm. Thank you, Bob. Yeah, I'm sure um, a lot of people um, have very different ideas, obviously, about the reappearance of the Christ. And some people believe it is more of an awakening of the human soul. Um, throughout all humanity, whereas other people believe, in fact, that in, 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 in tandem with that will also be eventually, and after humanity has made due preparation, the reappearance of, of, of an individual as well. Um, but obviously, people have different ideas about this, and so it's good you've brought that up because, um, you know, obviously, Triangles members don't have to ascribe to one idea about the reappearance or about Christ at all. So that's a very important point. Thank you. Thank you so much. For many people, it is, you know, it is a symbolic and a metaphor, which is totally, totally acceptable. 
Um, so we are now, it's just about after four. So I think we are going to go ahead and wrap up. Um, Jen and Catherine, did you have anything final to, to, to say in closing? Oh, nothing from me, Michael. Same here. Yeah, that was, um, yeah, really good and inspiring today. Thank you. All right. Thank you both. And um, we're going to end now actually with a um, audio um, of Catherine's um, rendition of the a musical rendition of The Great Invocation. Catherine, is there anything else you want to say in introduction to this, or should I just play? Um, I can just say it was recorded in the temple at the Southern Light Center, um, which was built um, in around 2001 or so. Uh, it's a beautiful space um, that Lawson was instrumental in, in building Lawson Bracewell. Thank you, Catherine. And so now I'm just going to say, we'll, we'll go ahead and end with this. And so um, with that, I'd like to say thank you, everybody. And uh, we look forward to seeing you next week. Here's the music. Let